Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. With everything that we've seen from Mayo, they have to now to win an All-Ireland this year, beat Kerry, probably beat Dublin, and then whatever comes on the side. It, it's really hard to see how, how that panel of Mayo players, the injuries that they have in key positions, can do that. Let's be fair, Munster hurling seems to be at a different level. The Munster final seems to be at a different level than Leinster final this year. I think Wexford are going to come up against something that's like a juggernaut. Well, there are no more second chances in the All-Ireland Hurling and Football Championship as we reach the quarter-final stage. The draw for the football last eight was made earlier today, and there are some very exciting games to look forward to in two weeks' time. Welcome to the Throw-On Podcast. Will Slattery here with you, as always. Myself and Michael Verney will be joined in part two of the show by Wexford legend Tom Dempsey to look ahead to the hurling quarter-finals between Wexford and Clare and Galway and Cork, and in just a minute by Dick Clerken to discuss all the weekend's action. But, Michael... It's just getting to that exciting period now where we're moving towards the business end of the championship and there's some really good games to look forward to. Yeah, there definitely is, Will. Um, and I was just kind of thinking there as you were talking, who would have said at the start of the year that Munster would be technically the dominant province in both hurling and football with three counties left in the in the quarterfinal race in football and obviously uh, three still going in the hurling. It's amazing how it's worked out. Cork, in fairness to them, have... You know, there's probably not been too much positive talk about them, but they've gone about their business professionally uh, from the end of division their Division 2 campaign, even through that Kerry game, who they were competitive against. Beat Loud, beat Limerick yesterday, and obviously Clare under Colm Collins are just uh, a phenomenon, really. Like, just just ekes every last ounce out of them, and they produced uh, a bit of brilliance. So Keelan Sexton and Jamie Malone at the end of the game against Roscommon the other night, and... Uh, Real dramatic stuff now, in fairness. It's brilliant, and it's just, it's setting up perfectly for uh, a really, really exciting kind of crescendo. Yeah, we have, uh, I think, three counties, Galway, Cork, and Clare, all going for the double as well this year. Uh, so that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think you get big odds on any of them doing the three now, to be <laughs> honest, or doing doing the double now, being, being honest with you. Um, but it's, 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 it's a fair sign of those counties that they're still in the last eight um, or the last six in, in Hurden's uh, case. And uh, yeah, of the, of the three of them, it's, yeah, it's kind of difficult to say. I, they probably, Claire probably fancy themselves in the Hurden, but they probably don't see themselves maybe as realistic contenders uh, in the football. But they're definitely, what, what, the, what they've done in the last nine seasons under Colm Collins and how they keep regenerating is, uh, 
It's one of the stories of every year. And as I, as I saw on Twitter last night, how Colin Collins hasn't been nominated for manager, manager of the year in a couple of different years. Sometimes we get fixated with um, silverware and success. But what he's doing there with you know a relatively small pocket of uh, football clubs and getting the very last ounce out of them every year. And even, like, not been smart, Will, who would have said that Clare would still be where they are after Gary Brennan retired? The best footballer they've produced, one of the best they've probably ever produced, and they're still churning out the players and turning out the performance. Remarkable. Yeah, certainly one of the stories of the weekend and of the season, as you mentioned. We're going to dig a bit more into the football now. We're delighted to have Dick Clerken on with us. And Dick, we should definitely start with that quarterfinal draw. Kerry versus Mayo, probably the blockbuster clash. Dublin and Cork on that side of the draw too. But then on the other side of the draw, a really great chance for a new team to make it to the final after you know a long wait. You know, Derry versus Clare and Galway versus Antrim. Out of those games, you know, what, what's the big thing sticking out to you? Honestly, I'm looking at Derry and our man and says, my God, one of them is going to get to an All-Ireland final. And as a Monaghan man, I'm like, but it's a really good thing from a, from a, from a broader GA's perspective. Like, you know, you have two teams that have sort of been, I wouldn't say sleeping giants, but have been sort of under-delivering and under-performing for the last decade, got their stuff together, and now look at... And, and they were all, we always knew that, looking at the draw, there was going to be an opportunity, a pathway for for, for a county that, that might have considered themselves in the All-Ireland conversation to get there. Um, and now, like, you have any one of... And even Clare, like, every one of those four counties can conceivably look and say, what an opportunity do they have? Um, and I think that's almost the story. There's a, there's an almost, there's a fair complaint on the other side. It's just really hard. I know Mayo and Kerry might, on the face of it, look like a blockbuster. It's really hard to see, um, you know, any, any anything other than a, a sort of a Kerry and then a Dublin win. So the, the other side, you know, that that's for me where all the intrigue is. And every manager will be like, you can imagine the dressing rooms this week and and the appetite around the respective counties looking what's, what's ahead of them over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Michael, like Armagh will be 19 years since the final appearance, Galway 21 years, Derry 29, and Clare 105 since they lost to Wexford in 1917, which is a pretty long way to say the least. It's just such a great, as Dick said, it's such a great opportunity for all these counties. They all believe that they can make a run now. Yeah, massive opportunity uh, for the four counties involved there. Um, you, you probably feel sorry from a Cork point of view. They could have been in that mix, and they're instead they're on the other side with what looks like an impossible task uh, against the Dubs. But yeah, like even like Clare, Clare. Like if you look at it, obviously Armagh played Division One this year, but Clare played Division Two uh, against Galway and against Derry earlier on this year. Like there's not, you know, there's not a million miles between them at all, particularly on a, you know on a given day. Um, so I think they're one of the teams that will definitely look at this as a serious opportunity to get to an All-Ireland semi-final and who, who knows thereafter. Um, I think the Galway-Armagh game is going to be an absolute belter of a game in, in particular. Um, Clare and Derry will be, will be a fine game, but that, I think that's probably the, that's the, the, pick, it's the pick of the two on that side anyway. And then obviously uh, Kerry and Mayo. Um, I was looking at Mayo the other night. Uh, I was in at the game. And they were as bad as they've ever been in the first half. As it was so bad, so bad. But it's almost like they, when push came to push came to shove, and the gun was to their head, they were able to, you know, produce something. Particularly, it was their backs really that that produced. And Keegan came forward and kicked two points, and Ushie Mullen got the goal with a one-two with Parik O'Hora. Their their attack has been really abysmal, but. 
they will raise their game based on who they're playing. There's nothing sure, and they'll fancy their chances against against uh, against Kerry. But um, yeah, it's teed up lovely, isn't it? You know, it looks like it looks like already you have the All Ireland semi final that most people would probably think are the two best teams in the country potentially in Kerry and Dublin, and then the other four playing for you know a chance to go the whole way through to a final. It's it's brilliant. It's teed up lovely. Yeah, Dick, like on Mayo, you mentioned there, you think, you know, it's hard to see past a, a Kerry victory. Like, what did you take from the, their performance on Saturday night? Do you think they can raise their game, as Michael says, and kind of play up to the opposition against Kerry in two weeks' time? Listen, they need to get something up front. Like, you know, there's no point in beating around the bush. Like, they're very, very short with, with McLaughlin and Tommy Connery now gone. And, you know, they're asking a lot of Killian O'Connor. Now, he's improving and he will continue to improve. And even in the game... On, at the weekend, he improved. He was more involved and more potent um, in the second half than he was at the start. So, so that's an added bonus. But you know, they're really they're very, very dependent on that sort of defensive thrust forward in terms of Mullen, uh, Durkin, Keegan, and even McLaughlin. And no. That being said, those four players in their positions is, are as good as what's out there in the county in the country at the minute. So that's that's a major asset for Mayo. When they're when they're sizing themselves up against uh, against other teams, I just think from 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 almost midfield forward, they just don't know what their best team is, and it's a bit of a, a jumbling match for James Horn at the minute. Even now, big question mark again about Aidan O'Shea. It'll not be lost in a lot of players that Mayo played their best best football in the last quarter when 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 Aidan wasn't on the pitch. Now that might be a bit unfair. But I think the way the game has gone, you know, and the way Mayo play, it is very much about mobility. It's about trying to move the ball through the hands up and down the pitch. You know, is as a midfielder, is, is that the type of game Maiden can play for for 70, 80 minutes? I'm not sure it is. And and you know, you might have to reflect on where best to play him um come against against Kerry. So so that's a big question mark for the Mayo camp. And uh, but but listen, you know, we keep sort of I think I think the problem with Mayo is we're sort of and I didn't even write bother writing about them today because you know big Mayo come back you know big been there done that we've seen enough of them do you know what I mean all we really want to know about Mayo is can you push on and win an All Ireland because they've done everything up to that multiple times so again the comeback against Kerry against Kildare was was brave it was it was everything that we've seen from Mayo you know they have to know to win an All Ireland this year beat Kerry probably be Dublin and then whatever comes to the side, it, it's really hard to see how, how that panel of Mayo players with the injuries that they have um, in key positions can do that. And that's unfortunate because, you know, we don't need to talk about the Mayo sub story um, again, but, but you know, that, that's a really tough path for them compared to every other county that's out there really at the minute. And Michael, just on the Kildare part of, of Saturday night, you know, what to say about them that, you know, you're saying how poor Mayo were for such long periods. Kildare had a very commanding six-point lead at one stage in the second half, and they still weren't able to get the job done. Yeah, I think, with, and this is probably a bit of an aside, but the thing that mystifies me most about Kildare is that they sleepwalked into a Leinster final against Dublin and played straight-up man-on-man football. And then the other night, all of a sudden, the nuclear button was pressed and they played 15 men behind the ball with nobody up top. I just think it's bizarre that you can go from you know December through to... Uh, through to late late May and not have looked at maybe playing a defensive structure when you play one of the best teams in the country and then all of a sudden they rip you apart and then you look at playing a defensive structure. Um, 
they were they were good at different stages the other night. Uh, there was a bit of a bit of defiance to them. Um, trying to I think Glenn Glenn talked after about you know a lot of uh, you know abuse and negative commentary within within their own county. It seems like it's kind of par for the course um, in most places now at the moment, and that they had some sort of a point to prove. Um, the first half, as I said, was one of the worst halves of football I've seen in a long, long time. They were the better of the two in that first half, um, but they had got themselves into a position where it looked like they could potentially kick on. And then, it, I don't know, it, to me, it just didn't look like there was a lot of gas left in a lot of their tanks, to be honest with you. I, look at, I was looking at Daniel Flynn, maybe with about 10 or 15 minutes to go, and his looked like, he looked like his legs were shot. He was after covering a good bit of ground, but it didn't look like there was anything left to give. And some of their... Some of their shot taking and their choice of shots, there was an awful lot of snapshots. There was a lot of low percentage shooting, particularly when the game was in the melting pot there. Saying that, if, if Daniel Flynn's goal chance had gone in, maybe they, maybe they would have kicked on. But um, I, don't, I don't know. I just, I just can't believe how naive Kildare were in the Leinster final. And then they're the exact opposite the other night. They're ultra defensive the other night. I don't understand how that changes within two weeks. I don't understand how there wasn't a plan B, C or D for the Leinster final. And it took conceding five goals in 27 minutes to, to go about things the way they went about the, the things the other night. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a difficult one. At least they didn't, they didn't kind of slink out maybe like, but still just, I think the opportunity was there for them the other night. Um, like Mayo aren't exactly pulling up any trees at the moment and Kildare had themselves in a winning position but couldn't get over the line. Yeah, Dick, what do you make of Michael's point there about having their kind of tactical shift from the two games? Yeah, I, I think tactics, you know, people talk about defensive and tactical strategies. Like, I, I think just the, the, the approach and the attitude of the Kildare players is largely different because, if you, again, if you go back to the Dublin game and you, you take snapshots of, of a lot of the Dublin goals, like, there was plenty of Kildare players back. So it wasn't the case that the six forward sitting up there doing nothing not tracking back but there was just no intensity there was no intent they brought that at the weekend and so when the, the Kildare players were in the vicinity of Mayo the Mayo, Mayo attack they were getting in around they were getting turnovers and, and that's ultimately the difference you know it's that it's not it's not the positioning of players it's what you're doing when you're in those positions and they, and they brought that like Kildare's problem was ultimately they were, I, I, I almost like them to a, like a car flying down the motorway in, 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 in third gear trying to trying to keep up 120 kilometers an hour. Yeah, they're keeping up pace, but they were highly inefficient and they were just burning gas because, you know, you can you can see the effort they were putting into everything, the pace that they were trying to go. And eventually they just they just couldn't sustain that pace anymore and they dropped off. Like they didn't take the chances when, you know, the game was theirs. Like like Mayo were, were beaten. Like, let, let's be honest, like going down into the last, you know, 15 minutes, it was very, very hard to see um, where Mayo were going to come, 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 come good because they were so you know, impotent in attack, you know, really took that Oshin Mullen goal out of nothing. You know, it was just a, an individual effort bursting forward that and again, you talk about intensity, there was three Kildare players around him. Like he should never have been getting out of that, you know, give away the point, whatever, but they allowed him to get out of that, give the one, two, and then finish it. You know, that's just the difference at that top level. Like those goals, the Dublins, the Kerrys, the Thrones at their best, don't concede those types of scores in big games. And yeah, okay, wides, they were they were taking their chances. I I I don't blame teams for having a cut up front and hitting wides. It's it's coughing up soft big scores at crucial times are the real killer. And I think that goal it it, it done two things. It just knocked Kildare right back on their feet, but then it gave Mayo players the energy and a sniff of a game that was there that they went and had the experience to go and take. 
Yeah, Michael, a one talking point for the weekend that would be interesting to get your opinion on considering you were in the stadium was just the decision to hold those two matches in Croke Park in the first place. You know, I've heard that there could have been even less than a quarter of the ground full. You probably would have seen it firsthand because the camera, you don't get to see the full stadium. But even watching on TV, it didn't like feel like a great atmosphere there. Like, What, what was your opinion on that? There was very, very few there for the throwing in the first game. Very few. There was no noise really about the first game until about the 45th, between 45th and 50th minute, I'd say, when people started kind of flooding in for the second game. And then it was a, and that was actually a really good game as well. It was a real back and forth kind of game, a free flowing game. You didn't really know how it was gonna, how it was gonna finish until the very end when when Claire kind of uh, robbed it at the at the death maybe. But yeah, very empty feel to it. Um, like it's never great when there's a load of seagulls flocking around Crow Park. Like there was, they were just everywhere at the start at the start of the second game. I don't think to be there if there was a lot of noise um, flying around them. Um, yeah, just a strange one. Like Clare and Roscommon, Clare and Roscommon in Tullamore, Port Leash. I'd say that would have been would have been rocking with it with a decent crowd there. Probably over ten thousand if it was in one of those venues. Um, Kildare Mayo the same if it had, if it had been down the country somewhere. Um, just think it's it's very difficult place to put supporters in as well, particularly like the Mayo supporters. Kildare's very close proximity to Dublin can drive in and drive out or get the train in and out from Minute or something like that. From a, from a Mayo point of view, Clare point of view, um, in particular, you know like you're really asking you're really asking people to put their hands really deep into their pockets for for games with regards to travel up all your food, all your tickets, potentially staying up or looking to stay in someone else's place and then come back down. There's such a huge cost involved. I just think we can be an awful lot smarter on that. The only flip I'll give on that is, is that the Clare lads, the Clare lads after Saturday night, they're now celebrating their first championship win in Crow Park in 108 years. Um, and they've hadn't, they haven't had the opportunity to play in Crow Park uh, outside of winning the league final there, Division 3 league final there in 16, and playing Kerry in the All-Ireland quarterfinals there, they don't play in Crow Park. So they can always say that. But, you know, I just think logis- logistically, financially, I just don't think it makes sense at the moment. Yeah. I, I, I was the same watching it, and I was I was just looking at the map in front of me, and I was looking at the three counties, and then I was doubling. I said, this, this just doesn't make sense. I, but at the same time, I remember when I was a player, you always wanted to play in Croke Park. You, 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 all those arguments for supporters and, and, and transport and price and all, yeah, that's all very valid on one side. As a player and as a manager, you, you want to get the opportunity to, to cut your teeth there and play there. Every, every, every player, player does. Now, that, that there is a balance on that. And, and I think, you know, like, and I suppose it's a fair question could be and should be asked of, of Croke Park from counties as to why these games are being brought in because, you know, it, there's a lot of challenges out there at the minute from an economic point of view. The cost of travel, you literally cannot get a hotel in Dublin. Like, to, so to ask, like, there, like, there's a story there that the Mayo Pupplers, because the Kerry team had to book a hotel in advance of their Limerick game to, to guarantee that they'd somewhere to stay for the quarterfinal. The hotel, uh, the Dublin players or the, the Mayo players can't get hotels. And, and so, you know, even a, a family wouldn't even countenance pay, paying um, hotel prices in Dublin at the minute. So, they aren't insignificant things either, you know, because at the end of the day, a decision to play a game and, and the quarterfinals won't be different either. You know, like we're not going to get huge crowds compared to what you might have other in other years for the quarterfinals. And you should because of those, because of the cost of travel, you can't get accommodation and the games are on TV. So, you know, I think 
the quarterfinals will be in Croke Park. That's that's not caught ourselves, but those games definitely there was a question mark over them because, um, as I say, it was it was very disappointing to see that crowd. It's, it's not good for the national games. You're all Ireland football championship. You know, even if and especially if they're on Sky, it's it's not a good promotion of the game for people logging in and seeing empty stadiums. That that puts a big question mark over the integrity of the game. So I think that needs to be factored in as well. I've already seen people on Twitter saying, wouldn't it be great if Porky Cueve could host uh, Cork versus Dublin in the football quarterfinal? What an occasion that would be, but can't see that happening. As Dick said, Croke Park is likely to host uh, all four games. Michael, you know, as we finish up now, Armad Donegal was probably you know, the greatest game over the weekend and, and for long periods was you know, competitive and really good action. The Donegal implosion, you know, they, they led nine points to one, two, and then Armad just, you know, pressed up in the kick out, did a lot of damage and never looked back. You know, how did you, what did you make ahead of the game unfolded? That was a really weird game. They obviously got the early goal, uh, brilliant goal, and it just shows that he, how he can, it's so hard. To, you can't defend against something like that when it happens that quickly. But, you know, thereafter, I thought Donegal were flying out of defence with ball. There was a load of pace, load of runners. Thought defensively they looked quite solid, um, quite tight. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if it's as simplistic as to say the black card and the penalty turned the game, but Armagh had probably pressed up in the minutes beforehand. And Sean Patton maybe got away with it once with a short kick out. And then they went again straight away. And all of a sudden, you see three players converging in on the defender. Ball is turned over. Um, ball is turned over. It's a, pe- it's a penalty. Patton's gone to the line. The really uh, strange scenario where uh, Donegal don't make the substitution for the penalty. And you see the Donegal subkeeper running in to get his jersey, which he didn't have on, which... Uh, doesn't look great and Dick's probably been involved in teams where there might have been a lad sitting on the sideline that didn't have a jersey on because he thought he had no hope of getting on the field um, and I probably have been as well um, oh, yeah. I actually didn't realise that no, yeah. I was a bit mad yeah Yeah, and then yeah, they obviously scored a penalty with Keelan McGonagall in goals and then you cut to the sideline and you see Patrick McVerty uh, saying a few choice words to Sean Patton in the Ball dugout pa- yeah. Patrick McVerty who'd been taken off he'd been the one that'd been sacrificed for the subkeeper to come in, um, and it just looked like the game had completely turned in. And Donegal showed so little in the second half. It's gas. It's two weeks since they lost the Ulster final, but the whatever with the physical toll, but the mental toll of that had you know clearly was you know really uh, sorely felt in those last fifteen or twenty minutes. Like when was the last time? Probably going back to the Mayo quarter final in twenty thirteen. I'd say that. The last time that Donegal were like totally out of a game with fifteen or twenty minutes to play, um, and it's a it's a weird one now. It looks like you have to say it looks like probably the end of Declan Bonner, Bonner's management reign. You know, Michael Murphy is aging closer to the exit door. Patrick McBurty probably is as well, and it looks like there's a big rebuild on there. I say there'd be there'd be new personnel on the sideline and there could be a fair few new personnel on the pitch over the coming years as well but just really disappointing for them the, it's the end of a decade for them you know 10 years going back to 2012 that's been a phenomenal time for them but the wheels really came off in that last 20 or 25 minutes yesterday and the result means that I think for the first time in the backdoor era, the qualifier era, neither uh, Tyrone or Donegal will be in the quarterfinals, Dick. You mentioned at the top of the show, like Derry and Armagh, sleeping giants back in. It was a kind of pretty big result from that perspective as well. Like it was. And and, and it, at the end, yes, it was easy to say it was inevitable. Like, you know, Donegal did come out, you know, with good energy and they had, they had the elements in the first half. Um, but 
I suppose that the goal and the implosion from from Donegal for those few minutes and, and how that influenced the game, it just everything okay, it's all easy in hindsight because Armagh didn't look great up until that point, but they, they responded very well. And I suppose, you know, teams at different junctures in their development, you know, certain games and things happen that you know, they talk about a team maturing and, and they get a result that's sort of, it's, it's it's not just a one-off big win that their Tyrone victory could have been put down to. You know, they had all the energy, they were at home. You know, lots of teams have, have had those over the history. But to back that up against another top team when your backs are against the wall, that's that's a big mark. And like that's that's a massive thing for that Armagh team because the backs were a wee bit against the wall. Like they weren't playing great aside from that early goal. Um, the opportunities were there. And I think... You have to give them credit to that they not just the scores that they got, but but how they influenced and pushed up and, and showed that bit of intent to, to force the issue. You know, they didn't just sit back, they didn't sort of go passive and try and contain Donegal. They actually went and pushed up, put pressure on the Donegal kick out, and those things that happened, they got the point, they got the penalty, the black card. That was because of that. So that shows great intent from the Armagh team and, and the rest, as I say, sort of is history in the way that they kicked on because like the They've got a young, a youthfulness and a freshness and a hunger that you know you get with a team that Derry have as well. That certainty Monon had maybe you know seven or eight years ago when you were coming uh, for so Donegal had ten years ago. Like they have that now because they've been starved of success and and so they need to sort of harvest when it's there because that can go as well. You know you know you can get you know their 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 supporters as much as anyone will get cynical and all the rest if, when they lose games in a couple of years time and they don't follow up on on their promise but they have that now they have the wind in their sails and, and you can see the way they kick on because they've some lovely natural footballers the likes of obviously Reen O'Neill Jarry O'Burns I thought for, for for once he really stood up because you know, you see him carrying the ball. He, he he just has everything as a footballer. But I think he's been playing within himself over the last couple of years. He really stepped up and led the line. So listen, they'll be just so full of confidence, and you know, be a huge Armagh crowd heading down the road. One thing's worth say, worth worth saying. Very disappointing. If you had over your clonus yesterday, um, Michal, very disappointing from the Armagh crowd. You know, the booing and the antics. You know that that needs to be nipped in the bud, you know, and that's, you know, they're, they're, they're getting the benefit of the doubt at the minute because of the football that they're playing and they're new. But if they keep that carry on up, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll soon not, you know, win too many favours. And it'd be worth Kier McGinney in his, in his fairly, um, you know, blunt fashion, maybe, maybe having a word that they need to just uh, button it. And, you know, you know, they don't need to be developing a siege mentality or things against. They're playing really good football. We all have watched them play. You know, that's only going to drag things down. Great stuff, Dick. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, folks. Well, we're delighted to be joined for our hurling chat this week on the throw-in by Wexford legend Tom Dempsey. Tom, a huge game for your county this coming weekend in the All-Ireland Hurling quarterfinals up against Clare. How do you think Wexford are set for this weekend? You know something, Will? I, I think they're in a very, very good place. Uh, we have an injury there. Uh, young Cahill Dunbar did limp off with a hamstring injury at the weekend. But I was down in Tralee over the weekend and the game went exactly the way we would have wanted it to go. You know, I, I got the feeling going in that Kerry were very welcoming and they didn't really see a shock in store. And the game was 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 pretty straightforward from a Wexford perspective. We didn't get any injuries. The big players, the Leachins, the Rory O'Connors, they came through okay. So I think we're in a pretty good spot at the moment. Um, possibly maybe a little bit unlike uh, the Clare team at the moment. Because, you know, traditionally, Clare can be a little bit upset by sideshows. And I don't mean to... to 
demean what's happening in Clare at the moment. But certainly they, you know, they look like they're going to be without two very, very important players, uh, Rory Hayes and and uh, Peter Duggan at the weekend. So, you know, Clare have to be very, very careful in that they don't, they, they, they you know, even go back to 98, they can be a little bit sidelined sometimes by things that are happening around. So they will really need to focus on this. So I, I think we have a clear bill of health. Things are good and uh, we're looking forward to it. I have to say we really are looking forward to it this weekend. Yeah, Michael, now that Tom brought it up, I might as well get into it because it, is, it has been a massive controversy over the last couple of days. Even James O'Connor and yesterday, Sunday Independent, you know, discussed it at length, you know, the Sunday game and their role maybe and potentially the lads ended up getting proposed bans. What do you make of, of, the, of all that kind of controversy? I think it's just uh, balance is what you want, Will, really. There were, like, are we going to analyse every incident in the game? Uh, are we going to pick out uh, Are we going to pick out a couple of potential flashpoints from a Limerick point of view as well? We didn't. Um, we picked out three kind of incidents involving Clare players. And then on, on the back of that, uh, it looks like two of the Clare players are going to be suspended now and potentially missing for a, a huge game at the weekend. I just think balance is needed in, in that respect. Um, it was a brilliant game. Um, I thought John Keenan refereed it. The way he refereed it allowed the game to turn into the absolute blockbuster that it turned into. Um, there was ne- it was never going to be a case where he was going to see everything that happened on a given day. And some of the instances that happened, yeah, they weren't, they weren't particularly savoury, I suppose. But if you're going to bring up a couple on the Clare side, you probably need to bring up a, up, up a couple on the Limerick side as well. And I don't think there's an issue then, really, it's just that the fact that it looked a bit unbalanced on the night um, and like Limerick are no angels, Clare are no angels. Um, things happened on both sides. Um, so it's just, I think that's probably the, the, the thing that's really getting Clare people's backs up that it just looks like they're the ones that have been targeted in this instance. And now potentially they're missing two of their best players for a quarter final. Um, and everybody's talking about, you know, Clare being a potential All-Ireland contender, and they are, but they have to negotiate their path there to that final. And Saturday is the first step. And if they're without those two guys, all of a sudden the game that's maybe 65-35 in their favour becomes a 50-50 game. Yeah. I was just thinking, Michael, as well, you've made a, I think you've made a very, very good point. I mean, if the G, like we, we want to be careful of what we're looking for in the GEA. We want a big, bright, open game. We want war on the field. And, you know, the tensions were up. I, for me, John Keenan refereed the game exactly the way we wanted to be refereed. You're going to miss things. But if we're going to forensically examine everything that happened, I know in rugby that they have, uh, you know, uh, for elite games, they have a sighting commissioner that will look over the whole game. And I think I can see where Claire are coming from, from the point of view, if you're going to analyse the whole game, or if you're going to analyse a couple of incidents, you have to analyse everything and you have to forensically go through it. And I think, I don't think anybody would argue that the two incidents, they were standout incidents. And, you know, unless, uh, you know, kind of, unless we're kind of going to say that we're going to look at everything, we have to look at nothing. And I will say, though, that the incidents are pretty clear cut now. You know, unless Seamus Flanagan is an Iron Man, he didn't seem to react to the belt he got uh, he's probably made of iron which I think we suspected that at some stage but they are fairly Rory Hayes' one is fairly straightforward and uh, as a man that was uh, in with the appeals committee I was suspended myself would you believe over the last couple of months and uh, appeals committees don't tend to be uh, that uh, sympathetic to people so I've learned that the hard way but you know you can't argue with the incidents I think the big problem is that uh, the Sunday game seems to have had a big impact on this and just highlighting two incidents 
Tom, we're going to have to ask you, um, why were you in with the Pays? <laughs> I, I, I had a little bit of a, a disagreement with a third official or a fourth official in a football match of all things, Michael, so, and, and with James Owens, who, who is one of the top referees in the country. So they threw the book at me, Michael. They threw the book at me. But I have to say, Will, it hasn't really uh, done anything to, to, to put my career down at this stage. I, I don't think to, it had that big of an effect on me now, to be honest with you, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but we have seen players get off with with late kind of appeals in the past. So it'll be interesting to see if Peter Duggan and Rory Hayes do miss out this weekend. But Michael, what about kind of the emotional hangover for Clare from that Munster final? Like it was such an epic game, everyone hailing it. In James O'Connor's piece, he said he thought it was the best Munster final he'd ever seen. But to come out on the wrong side of that, plus the kind of physically taxing, you know, extra time period, you know, and then Wexford, as Tom said, you know, coming in with a good bit of health, kind of in the long grass a little bit. It's a tough way for Clare to kind of rebuild their season. Definitely is. If you look at, uh, obviously, the four provincial football final runners-up were all beaten over the weekend. Not one of them made it through to the quarterfinals. So that'll tell you how difficult it can be to regroup. And the, obviously, there's all the emotions um, around, you know, the Munster final in particular, uh, how big of a game it was. Uh, they obviously went extra time. They came out on the wrong end. That takes a couple of days mentally to get over uh the idea of losing number one um, physically, it obviously takes a couple of days to get over as well, regroup. You probably don't get back training really properly till probably the Thursday or Friday. They had a lot of lads that went off with cramp that day as well. Now they're potentially going to be down two of their best players and probably two all-star nominees at this, at this stage of the year. And all of a sudden, the year looks a little bit different. There's kind of question marks about them going into this game. The one thing I will say about Brian Lone is optimism wasn't particularly high when he came in and he was probably fighting a few battles I'd say behind the scenes there will be no better man to create a siege mentality than Brian Lawn, and he will have learned uh, from his own play- playing career about creating a siege mentality from uh, from the master Gerlach Nan as well so he will he will totally unite them and they'll have a, a serious cause going out on Saturday but there definitely is that nagging thing where you think there could be a bit of a hangover. And now you have the possibility of the the two players going for their appeals, that potentially going to a DRA here and maybe Friday night. We've seen it before. You just don't need things like that distracting you from the on-field action. And this is a distraction that they don't need. And uh, it levels the playing field a bit more. And this is, you know, Wexford and Clare, there was nothing between them last year when they met. And, you know, I don't think there's going to be anything between them at the weekend. I was hoping if Clare were to be beaten in the Munster final that they would be beaten well. And then I would have thought that they might have had a hangover. But they've got such uh, an energised kind of a feeling, I'd say, after that Munster final, one of the greatest games ever played. For my money, they would have woken up maybe not Monday morning, but on Tuesday morning and said, hold on here. We're playing really well. We seem to be the second team in the country. We have Wexford and Kilkenny between us and an All-Ireland final. What, a, what a, a kind of an objective to be looking at. You know, I think that, that that might go the opposite way. I do believe one thing, though, lads, that I do believe that Clare are sometimes a little bit susceptible to, to kind of sideshows. And if they get really caught up in this suspension thing and the siege mentality can be good, but it needs to be monitored and it needs to be kind of put in the right direction. But I do believe Brian, Brian Owen will be able to do that um, over the next couple of days. And uh, I just think this Clare team, they've operated at a very high level. They've got to a very high level. 
two boys will be big losses. But what will they do? They'll possibly put Shane O'Donnell in full forward if, if Peter Duggan is not available. He's pretty dangerous in there as well, lad, you know. And and uh, I think Clare have shown against Watford that they have the kind of resources now to make up for a few players missing. I think it's their own mentality this week. And the Clare mentality can be kind of a tough mentality if they don't get preoccupied with this. Maybe some of the players, stranger things have happened. They've got off. I mean, as I say, the CCCCC could turn around, you know yourself, uh, Will, on Friday night and say the two boys are back, that's great. But I just think if they don't get kind of uh, uh, sidelined by this, that they, they're going to be a big problem. They're playing at a higher level, at a higher intensity level, probably than Leinster hurling this year, and that's the truth of it. Yeah, and as Michael says, Brian Lowen's time with Gerlach Nanny, he's seen a siege mentality or two, but he might have learned a few lessons of what not to do and how not to manage it as well over the years. Uh, Michael, the other quarter final is really nicely poised as well. Cork versus Galway, both teams who at various stages of the championship have been written off. Galway, obviously, more recently, maybe after their Leinster final defeat to Kilkenny. How do you kind of see this game going into it? Oh, it's a difficult one. Um, Galway have, you know, when Mihal Dunham came in with Galway in 2016, in a really flat second half in their Leinster final. But thereafter, in, seven, in the rest of 16, when they pushed Tipperary all the way, and Tipperary and the Squad Ireland champions, and in 17 when they totally turned the screw, and even in 18 as well, and even in 19 in his last year, even when Dublin beat them in Parnell Park, they'd beaten Kilkenny earlier on in Nolan Park, and he'd, he'd seemed to eradicate that, you know, that no-show Galway performance, or, you know, that the half that they delivered, you know, the previous decade at different stages where they'd really shot themselves in the foot. And if you look at the last couple of years, it's kind of returned... Um, they were, you know, they were really poor against Dublin last year in Crow Park. They were really poor against Watford in that qualifier in Central Stadium. And then you looked at the second half in particular, that Leinster final, just showed very, very little, you'd have to say. And it looked like Henry Sheffield on the sideline was scratch, trying to scratch his head and realise what exactly was going on. And it just kind of looks like Galway have gone back to their old ways somewhat. You're just not sure what you're going to get on a given day with them. And they're playing a Cork side who you could probably say something similar about, about them. Um, brilliant for the first few minutes against Limerick. You know, pretty poor thereafter. Very, very poor against Clare for long stages and came with a bit of a finish. Then they've to- turned it around against Waterford and turned it around against, uh, against Tipperary. They probably let, left Antrim in the game longer than, than they would have liked on Saturday uh, up in Corrigan Park. Um, it's just, I, I find this game really, really hard to, to analyse in a way. Um, I'd, probably be, I'd probably be siding with Cork just because I think they have more of an attacking threat. And it looks like, if you look at the Leinster final, it looks like if you can keep Conor Whelan t- uh, under wraps, that, that Galway don't have too many options or too many different, you know, too many different other avenues for scores. But it's... Um, it's, I, I'm just not sure how Galway are going to regroup from that Leinster final. You'd, you'd be hoping that there's a, a reaction in them, but maybe their, their really recent history would suggest that maybe some of their old failings are coming back to roost again. But I, I'd ho- you'd hope from, from Henry Shefflin's point of view that they'd be able to turn things around. Get a, they had been decent enough throughout the round-robin stages. They obviously topped the, the round-robin with nine points, um, won four and drew one with Wexford, where they kind of threw away the result at the end of the game. But... Yeah, I just I, I, I don't have too much faith in either of those, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, in, in the long term. Um, uh, it, it's an intriguing game, but I, I, it's one of those games where outside of the top one or two in Hurling, it's so unpredictable at the moment. You, you, did, you literally don't know who could beat who 
on a on a given day, and that's the way I'd look at that game. I wouldn't couldn't confidently call it on either side. And in terms of sideshows, Tom, you know the whole Shefflin versus Cody battle from the Leinster final obviously got so much attention. Could that have a lasting impact even on Henry Shefflin? Could that be occupying his, his mind? Will that filter into the squad? Or do you think they're going to be able to park it and move on? Yeah, I, to be honest with you, Will, that sideshow for me now at this stage is nearly becoming annoying, you know. And, and I think that the simplest thing, I mean, Brian is saying that, uh, you know, oh, I don't want to talk about this and this is not an issue. But they, they've made, Brian's made it an issue, really. The simplest thing that day was to go down the line, shake hands, say thank you and smile at each other and move away. And we wouldn't be talking about that anymore. I don't think it has a huge impact on what's going to happen at the weekend, really. I think Henry, very, very professional guy. And I think Galway will be back up for it. The one thing about those two teams, Will, uh, the, the consistency of them is their inconsistency. Because you just don't know what to expect from Cork and Galway, really. And in fairness to Cork, now there's, I'm going to make a point that I maybe mightn't be that popular. I do believe that Antrim did deserve, by virtue of their win in the Joe McDonough, to go up another tier I don't think that uh, Kerry deserved to go up. You have to win your own grade before you go into the next. And I'm all for promoting hurling in Kerry. I think Kildare is an area we need to look at and whatever. I don't think Kerry should have been brought in. And and this might not sound good, but shouldn't have been brought into the Lee McCarthy this year. Wexford did not want the Antrim draw last weekend. They've gone up to Corrigan Park a few times and drew the last time they were up there. So I think Cork need to be given a bit of credit for going up there and putting that to bed, really. You know, the Antrim have some fabulous hurlers. They're going to cause a few problems in Leinster next year. And I think Cork came through a much, much tougher battle last weekend than people might appreciate. So I think Cork might be in just slightly different frame of mind uh, for this game. I think, you know, they, they won't be in a bad place. Galway... You know, they came down to Wexford. They probably should have beaten Wexford by 10 points that day. I mean, they were, they just seem, and and again, you know, they'll probably come back to remember uh, Joe Canning getting on to me at one stage about this. They seem to have redeveloped this soft underbelly that they just don't seem to perform when the match and when it's very, very important. And they also don't seem to put teams away. I mean, the performance in the Leinster final was, was deplorable. And yet we know this Galway team, if they get to an All-Ireland semi-final, they could be the one team that could put it up to Limerick because they have some fabulous players, Conor Whelan, Parig Mannion, Cahill Mannion. They have some talent. But you know what, lads? Galway, you're just going to have to start doing it. And you're, you have a great manager, great guy over you. You're going to have to start laying it out on the field now and, and move on because this Galway team should be doing better than it has been doing. Just on a point that, a point that Tom made there about Kerry, um, I, I, I would agree. I think that the big issue we have with Kerry is is the fact that they haven't had the play yet, but that that playoff is there, that there's a trap door there. If they win the McDonough, I'm I'm all for yeah. them getting getting up to, to Munster. But I think they have to win it first. And they're obviously getting very, very close. They were beating a point this year in an absolute belter of a game. Um and the fact that the fact that the Wexford came to Tralee last uh, last weekend, they will have learned an, an awful lot from that. But it also showed that there is still a fair chasm there. And if they went into Munster at the moment, they would probably ship uh, a lot of a lot of big beatings and it potentially would um it potentially would make Munster a little less appetizing because you're gonna have what you're gonna have one game every weekend. That's and that's I'm not being disingenuous or like that. I just think that's where they that's where they are at the moment. But on Tom's point, if Kerry win the McDonough Cup, it's only right that they go up, that there's no safety net or trapdoor or anything like that. I think that's the, that's the main point in it. 
I, I think as well, Michael, that that the game itself, and I was down at it at the moment, they had, they had some fabulous players. There was an own Ross number three playing wing back. He was outstanding. And, you know, Mikey Boyle plays the sweeper brilliantly and whatever. But I got the impression, even going down to the ground, I, I'm always worried about what Wexford are going to do, particularly after the Westmead game. I never had any doubt that we were going to win the game. And I think Kerry never had any doubt that Wexford were going to win the game. They played Mikey Boyle as a sweeper. And then they had a, a pretty strong wind in the second half and they continued to play him as a sweeper. So it seemed to be just a damage limitation thing. And I'm not totally sure that that game was any huge benefit for Kerry, particularly coming a week after the um, uh, Joe McDonnell loss. And I, I agree with you. I think in any grade of hurling football, if you're in club hurling or whatever, if you want to win the uh, intermediate championship, you have to win the intermediate championship, go senior. And, uh, if you, you know, that's the bottom line. So I, I, I'm not saying they're not entitled to be there. I'm saying that, just at the moment, you have to win your own grade before you go up. But amusingly, the Clare boys, uh, my great friend, Fergal Hegarty's, I was going down and I was getting on to him about the suspensions and that. And he said to me that uh, going down to the game, he said, I think we'll have enough for Kerry anyway without the boys, he said. So Clare were, were confident enough that they were going to beat us. But I have to say, I think we're, we're going to come with a, with a big, big play next Saturday for these Clare men. Yeah, well, get your prediction in just a second, Tom. But first, I go to you, Michael. Like, who do you, who do you feel will come out of the two quarterfinals this weekend? I said that that Cork Galway game. I I probably have I don't have much faith in either of them at this moment in time, but I probably have a bit more in Cork, and I think they have more options. Um, and as Tom said, there, in fairness to them, they went up to Corrigan Park and got the job done. It was probably a, a bit tougher than they would have liked. Um, but they still put up a big score. Um, they've an awful, they've a lot of lads. A lot of their marquee men are hurling well at the moment. Dara Fitzgibbon's playing great stuff. Robbie O'Flynn's been probably one of their best players this year. Harnady uh, chipped in with one three the other day, and even someone like Jack O'Connor, who we haven't seen much of this year, like his run for Harnady's goal, where he ran about seven or eight yards and flicked the ball over a lad's head. He looks like a lad that's coming back to form as well. So I'm probably going to stump with Cork on that side, um, and I think. I think suspensions are not. I still think Clare will find a way to beat Wexford at the weekend. And I just think the, the level that they played at in the Munster final is a couple of levels above anything that any other team outside Limerick has produced this year. And even if they're a notch below that, I think they'll just about still have enough to get done. But I think it's going to be interesting. I, I'd be surprised. I'd say Damien Reck will probably track Kelly and you can listen. You can only you can only um, negate him so much. But if he can, you know, keep him to like it's mad to say. It, if you keep a lad to three or four points, you're probably you're probably doing well. And if Duggan is missing as well, that takes away potentially another uh, one of their attacking weapons. But I still think Clare will just about get the job done. So Clare and Cork for me. Yeah, Tom, maybe you give us your Galway Cork prediction first so we can finish off with your big Wexford Cork. With my big A, the, the, the country is waiting with bated breath to see what I'm going to say, Will. <laughs> but no, look, I'm a bit like uh, Michael on that. Ironically, I think that if Galway could get through, for me, I, I just, I love Galway hurling. I say, lads, get out there and do it because I do believe that they could be a threat to Limerick. They have the physical uh, know-how and the whereabouts and, and presence to cause problems for Limerick. But I think that the likes of Kieran Joyce has been a huge addition centre-back to Cork this year. You know, but they're playing Patrick Horgan is coming on and off and in and out. I think Cork will just have a little bit too much for them. But you know, funny thing, I don't think Cork will test Limerick, believe it or not. I think if Galway could re-announce their, their entry into this year's championship, I think they could have a problem for Limerick. 
I think Cork will win it, but actually from the championship perspective, I think it might be even better if Galway won if they could just get there, start hurling for Henry lads. I'm telling you, there is a lot of potential in that Galway team, but I think I'd go for Cork as well, a bit like Michael on that one. And works for Clare. Wexford Clare, you're you're breaking up there, Will. So you're uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> look. Um, it's going to be very very interesting. Uh, Will, let's be fair. Munster hurling seems to be at a different level. The Munster final seemed to be at a different level than the Leinster final this year. I think Wexford are going to come up against something that's like a juggernaut compared to what they've been playing so far. We were very, very good against Kilkenny, but for me, Clare are still second favourites for the All-Ireland. We'll have to wait to see what the CCCC will do at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock on Friday evening. I don't think the players will be available because if you look at the incidents, there's not a huge defence for the incidents that happened. And, and, and that's not talking, Edster, but that's the truth of the matter. I still think Clare will have a little bit more, uh, what would you say, intensity uh, from where they're coming from I think they'll see it as a huge opportunity but I tell you don't put it beyond Wexford because sometimes we don't know what's coming out of our own county at the moment at the moment I can assure you that things are very very good at the moment I think Clare win by three or four but this could be one of the best hurling games this year now believe it or not I think our lads are are well up the camp is happy and Darry Egan has done a good job it's going to be very very interesting just before you go as well well I want to wish um Michael, well done on his recent wedding. I was looking at some of the uh, videos, or not the video, Facebook, and he reminds me very much of a fella who was plucked out of Junior B and put straight into Senior for the year. So I have to say, I, I just hope you're up to the task, uh, Michael, um, uh, but the very, very best. I hope it's still going well for you anyway at the moment. All going well, Tom. No sign of the CCC yet, anyway. <laughs> no, no. I hope you haven't got your first yellow card yet, anyway, Michael. But the very best of luck with that. I, as I say, I think you could be maybe a junior B type player playing the senior grade, but I, I've no doubt that you'll handle that as you go. Better, on, so. better weight going up against a super heavyweight. Tom, I think. I, I think well, I wouldn't say super heavyweight now, maybe, but just punching slightly above <laughs> your weight, anyway, Michael. Come on, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> perfect way to finish up but here's hoping we get to cracking quarter finals this weekend Tom Michael thanks so much for joining me thanks lads a pleasure that's all we have time for on the throwing today but we will be back later in the week with another podcast with Billy McMahon to discuss all the latest football talking points in the meantime you can subscribe to us on Spotify Apple Podcasts or listen on independent.ie so until next time thanks for listening and goodbye this is an Irish independent podcast